0: Well, good morning, and we actually do have people join us even from California today, actually both coast and uh, Joplin, Missouri as well. So good morning to you guys that are joining us online. Over the past couple of weeks, we have discovered that one of the most amazing things about Jesus is that irreligious, non-God-fearing people, the people that we are, would consider like the big sinners, those people loved being around Jesus. And for those of us that would say, I believe in Jesus, I'm a Christian, I'm a Jesus follower, He's not just my Savior, He's my Lord, He's my King, He's my authority. One of the things that we feel compelled to do is to follow Him, to be shaped by Him, to ultimately become like Him. And over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about the marching orders of Jesus that were delivered after His resurrection to that first core faithful group of followers, which has been passed down from generation to generation to generation, and ultimately, it's our turn. Because It's been passed to us that of all the things that we ha- have and can have going on in our daily, weekly schedules, it is crucial that we begin to reflect Jesus and embrace his very clear marching orders. And that is that we would make time and effort to invest in relationship with unbelievers, with outsiders, to the unchurched, to, d- to the de-churched who have walked away. To the spiritually and socially marginalized, that we would intentionally serve and love outsiders, that it could come to the point where we have earned enough credibility and trust to be able to talk about our faith in a way that would come across as authentic because we loved first and we served first, that we would invest in people and build a relationship to the point where we feel like we can invite them to gatherings and to opportunities where they would be surrounded by other believers. And fear and anxiety has held many of us back in the past. But the truth is, most people are actually open to talking about God and about spiritual matters. Yet, I understand there can be barriers with some people because of their bad experience in the past. And we have to own that, as I often do. It's like if I could apologize for an entire group of people, I would apologize for pastors or churches where, or Christians that just the way they handled it actually drove people away rather than drawing them closer and so because of that experience in the past, we're committed to being a church that takes down those walls brick by brick. And the reason we've been talking about this for the past three weeks, is, as I've said, is that in order for us to stay on track with what God has called us to do individually and collectively as a church, we must individually embrace our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, or as we say it, to lead people To help people find and follow Jesus. For each of us individually to do our part in being a disciple who makes disciples. Which is the term that Jesus and his followers used. A disciple being someone who increasingly... Has a prevailing faith and possesses a prevailing faith and a selfless love that when it comes to the decisions that we make, our moral decisions, decisions about we, how we live, our words, our actions, our reactions, how we handle our sexuality or sexual desires, money or wealth, how we handle anxiety or fear, that we would have a prevailing faith that guides that and a selfless love. And how we do life and how we do relationships and how we handle frustration and anger, how we proactively and react, reactively live towards others and treat them, how we handle marriage and family. And the thing that the driving thing in our life is how do I reflect and honor Jesus in my actions and my words and my reactions because I have put him in the driver's seat of my life. And our marching orders are simple and clear, to be a disciple who makes disciples, to help people know and find and follow Jesus, to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And to the extent or the degree that we have embraced that personally, to that degree, we will stay on track as a church. Otherwise, New Life will just become another religious institution. Nothing more than just another church on another corner in Wichita, So today as we finish this short series, what I want to do is shift our responsibility or the focus from yours and my personal responsibility individually to our collective corporate responsibility. Because if we want to end up 10 years down the road going in the right direction, it's critical that we evaluate in real time what we're doing as a church. Because when a church loses focus, inevitably it gets off track. But the problem is churches generally don't know that for a long, long time. And I've painfully seen this firsthand far too many times, that a church can go generations being off track. And for most, by the time they realize it, it's too late because they've inevitably become so inward focused that they've gotten into survival mode. And then they're unwilling to embrace the fact that things have been off track. On off course for a long time and by that point everything has become so comfortable and familiar that they're unwilling to accept the fact that the church is slowly dying and as a result the church chooses to experience a slow death rather than change and eventually they have to close the doors because all that's left behind are aging people who aging people who now lack the energy or the health to do what needs to be done. And this has happened to thousands and thousands of churches. It's happening to churches today. And it breaks my heart. And I don't know about you, but to imagine that as the story for our church, for New Life, makes me want to vomit. I'm not okay with that. And hopefully you aren't either. In fact, my biggest hope and prayer is that by the time we're done today, you would go, this, that is absolutely the kind of church that I want to be, that I want to be a part of to help build to help make happen. But what we, learn from the, because what we learn from the New Testament is that when a church is no longer doing what Christ established a church to do, that God or Christ comes along and he removes in a mystical kind of way, he removes his presence from that church. When a church is no longer about what Christ is about, he somehow limits or removes the potential of that particular congregation. And here's the thing. A lot of us have made some pretty big sacrifices to get new life off the ground. We've invested time, we've invested resources uh, to start a church that would seek to take a different approach and have a different posture in our city, a city in which 75 to 80 percent are unchurched or dechurched. and that we celebrate all the people who have decided to sign up to be a part of this and be on board with this, and the people who have taken their next step in their faith journey, or the people who have gone public With their faith or begun to serve or become generous with their time or their finances. And for a core of us, the prayer is that God, God, we want you to do something fresh and new and something that is unmistakably you through us and in us and in this city and in this region, because we're not interested in just being an institution or a rented building. God, we want to be a reflection of what you originally intended when you planted this church, planted the church on this earth. So If you have your Bible, your Bible app, you want to follow along, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. And and in these verses, Jesus is addressing and evaluating some local churches. He's saying, you're doing this good, you're doing this bad, you need to work on this. And I want you to see the warning that he gives a particular church if they don't get their act together as a local church. This is Revelation chapter 2 verse 1. To the angel in the church in Ephesus, right. And the word angel uh, could be referring to the pastor, though I'm totally okay with nobody referring to me as the pastor of the, you know, the angel of the church in Wichita. Uh, scholars would say this could be the pastor. The word angel literally means messenger. It may be a literal angel assigned to the church. So we, we just don't know. But here's the message addressed to the leader or the leadership or the spirit representing this local church. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And Revelation is just filled with all kinds of symbolism. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. And you have persevered and endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. So basically Jesus says, hey, I've been evaluating your church there, your local church there in Ephesus, and you guys are doing great. Like you don't put up with false doctrine, meaning when people come in to try and twist my words or twist God's word to ultimately fit their agenda or their preference, you know, you're quick to call them out and hold them accountable. You guys have done a lot of things great. And then verse four, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. He's saying that to this church, hey, you started off, Great, here's all the great things you've done, but unfortunately, in the process of doing all those things, you have lost sight of the main thing. You've lost sight of your first love. You've got caught up in the activities of doing church, but you've lost sight of the main thing. So it's like a marriage. I mean, many of us, even if you're single, you've heard or used the term the honeymoon stage. Like when you're dating and engaged in those first few months of marriage, and everything's intense and adventurous, and the passion level is high, and you're all googly-eyed and affection and romantic, and you go out of your way to try and outdo each other and being thoughtful. But over time, if you let it, you just get caught up in the activities and in doing marriage. And then if kids come along, and it's like the main relationship takes a back seat and often suffers, which is a mistake. And sometimes we can forget what attracted us to the other person in the first place. Like, I don't even know why I married you. Remember your passion and the authentic- authenticity in relationships is, is what he's saying. Church, he says, remember where you first started. Remember why this relationship began in the first place. Remember your passion and the authenticity of your relationships, your genuine concern for outsiders. You need to get back to where you began because if you don't, I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place. Now, this doesn't sound like a stern warning to us like, "Whoa, don't remove my lampstand. But see, to the reader, though, the original leaders would have understood this is a big deal. Whenever Jesus talked about a lampstand, it was always a reflection of two things. It was always a reflection of the presence of God, and connected to that, it's a reflection of the particular, uh, of the uh, reflection of the potential of that particular group who has the presence or the blessing of God. So he says to the local church, "Hey, if you don't get back on track with where you began and restore your passion for your first love, I'm I'm going to come and I'm going to somehow remove my presence from you." And then your potential as a church will be very, very limited because of what could have happened with me working through you and in you will now no longer be possible. Now, like many of you, I have had the opportunity to visit churches where you you know, when you're with the congregation or with that particular group, like you you sense something. Like you come in like like I just like like you feel you can't quite put your finger on it, but like you feel it. And it's it's but then most of us also visited a church where like yeah they had music and a sermon and they did their thing and everything seemed to be in place but there was just something missing and you couldn't quite put your finger on it but it was missing and for most of us we sense it within the first 90 minutes for those of us most of us in this room we've church shopped and like some of us had that really bad experience like you're in there for like two minutes like I have made a mistake but then you're too embarrassed to leave because you don't want to make a scene so you just go ahead and weather it. But like for sure within the first five minutes, like you know, and it wasn't necessarily like the doctrine of the pastor, or that his preaching was bad. Or, it just seems a bit lifeless, a bit visionless, a little directionless. And it's like, you know, people were nice. It's like it just something was missing. And I believe this is part of that thing that this passage is referring to. It's not necessarily that we won't keep having services and the doors will be open or they're going to be closed anytime soon. It's that in that special way where God kind of shows up and inhabits his people, it's it's missing. Because from the beginning, what God is looking for is a group of people whose purposes and focuses are in alignment with with his. And when he finds those groups of people, he gets involved, he gets active. So this warning to this church is a warning to us you must stay on track. Otherwise, I have no choice that there's some sort of grace period involved. But at some point, Jesus says, I I have no choice but to remove that special, mystical, intangible sense of my presence with you. And when that happens, then your potential as a church will be very, very limited. So this begs the question, how do we keep how do we keep that from happening? As we said the past couple of weeks, one big step is that you and I individually are personally and individually committed in investing in people, inviting people, loving people into God's kingdom. But corporately, how do we stay on track? Because our mission is not a very tangible mission. Our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus, to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, to lead people to the point that they have a prevailing faith and selfless love. But how how do we know that we're doing that? Because the tendency of most churches is, churches is to evaluate success based on the things that we can count. Butts in the seats. You know, People watching online. Dollars. How many people are giving? How many people are serving? How many baptisms? How many people attend events? Or how many people are involved in small groups? And if the numbers are going up, we're doing great. If the numbers are going down, not so much. And for the record, we should c- count those things. These things are important. But the problem is, when it comes to a living organism, counting is rarely the best way to get an indication of what's happening because the church is, is an interdependent body. It's a, it's a family. It's an interdependent family. And if I were to ask you how your family was doing, you would not tell me how many members are in your family. If I said, hey, how's your family doing? Great, there's six of us. Like, hey, how's that dating relationship going? It's going awesome. There's two of us. Are things with your kids? Oh, it's great. Four went to bed, four woke up. Okay. That's not what I'm asking. See, when it comes to the health of your relationships or the health of your family, there's nothing you can point to or count that can give me a good clear indication of how you're doing and the body of Christ, the church is like that. It's a network of interdependent relationships that have been knit together for one primary purpose and for us to know how we're really doing as a community, as a movement, as a congregation. We must move beyond what we can count because what you evaluate will become your target. This is true of anything. It's true in business. So for the church, it says, hey, baptisms is it. You know, we're going to count baptisms. We're going to baptize everything that moves. We'll baptize them twice. I heard you cussing this week. We're getting to baptize you again. We're baptizing. We're doing great. Or if salvations are it, then that means every weekend there's going to be a salvation sermon here every weekend. We're going to sing 15 verses of the same song, which is most worship songs today, anyways. anyway. And we're going to sing 15 verses until the end and we'll, until we can get everyone to raise their hand that they're going to follow Jesus. So how do we evaluate, evaluate whether as a church, whether or not we're being successful in helping people find and follow Jesus, leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ? How do we know if we're hitting the mark and making disciples with a prevailing faith and selfless love? How do we know whether or not we've begun to drift on off focus? And so here's how, how we know. And just very quickly, I'm just going to share with you a list of questions that I've been chewing on for the past months. As I've been learning from leaders that I admire and respect and I admire their leadership and trying to learn from them, they've helped, even in the last few months, even though I've not used some of these words, helped inform some conversations that I've had, some decisions I've had to make, and I plan to keep these in front of my face and share them with all of the team and to let them help inform our conversations because, hopefully, by asking these relentlessly, it will help keep us on course. Or get us back on course where maybe, even in five and a half years, we've wandered off course. My hope is that after hearing these, again, that you would agree that this is the kind of church that you want to be a part of. That this is the kind of church that you want to be and help form and help make. And that many aspects of these questions would be happening in your personal pursuit of Jesus. So, I'll go through these quickly. Most of these are pretty self-explanatory. Question number one is, are we being true to God's word? That when it comes to the music or the sermons and anything we push out digitally, are we operating within the parameters of what God says is true? Number two is, are people being saved? In other words, like we're doing all this stuff, like we're busy, we do events, you know, every Sunday we do setup, we do teardown. we've got music and equipment and programs, but is anybody putting their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior for the first time? That's a big question. And because we're not really a come forward invitation, you know, type church, you know, baptism is one of our biggest indicators because it's so intimately connected to a person putting their faith in Jesus Christ, but moving forward, we need to develop other ways of knowing whether or not this is true. We need to know how many people are connecting to new life because they're new Jesus followers or maybe they're returning prodigals that they had wandered away but they're coming back versus how many people are just swapping churches. Because our passion is not to simply swap or rob people from other churches. And the reality is the number one form of individual church growth is that most churches that are adding more butts in the seats are doing it primarily by sheep swapping. Our passion is to be in the lives of prodigals and people who don't know Christ and for them to discover his love for them and to become part of our community and to grow with us. Number three, our people's priority is changing in accordance with Scripture. And this is so important to me as a leader. If our goal is for people to grow spiritually, to grow in a prevailing faith and a selfless love, the best evaluation to, tool for spiritual growth is priority change. And that's, this is true for all of us. And I've had people share with me after a sermon or, a, or an event uh, about commitments that they were going to make. Commitments concerning how they were handling a relationship or handling money or handling, handling their sexuality or their marriage or family. And I love hearing those. But the measure, the measure of that is not the sincerity of stating that commitment or even the prayer about that commitment. The measure is what happens that night. The measure is what happens in the days and weeks that follow. Do my priorities change? The measure is when it's just me and that device. When it's just me and that individual, when it's me coming again into that situation, have my priorities changed? The measure is in the relationship. The measure is, do my actions change? And do I actually do what I believe God has called me to do or do differently? But we don't know if that's happening if you don't tell someone. Plus, telling someone helps reinforce your priority change. So what we need from you is we need more stories. We could really use hearing from you, whether it's messenger or email or call. The majority of this community has my cell phone number. It's probably not wise on my part, but hey, you all got access. But a hearing from you saying, hey, over the last five years or the last year or the last six months or the last two months, things are changing for me. My priorities have changed. Or I've heard my husband or my wife saying this to me that that I'm changed, that I'm different in this area or that area. Because following Jesus and having a growing relationship with Jesus Christ entails priority change. And to be honest, if your priorities aren't changing, then to be honest, I take that very personally and I feel like I am failing you as a leader and we are failing you as a church. Because following Jesus and having a growing relationship with Jesus Christ involves priority change. The fourth thing is our members developing purposeful relationships with unbelievers. We talked a lot about that the past two weeks. Are you developing purposeful relationships with people who don't see God and don't see Jesus like you do? Are you invested in them? Are you serving them? Are you befriending them? Are you speaking to your unbelieving friends about your faith? And are you developing relationships? With those that are far from God, with an agenda, because as we said, just like Jesus, we have an agenda, but it isn't wanting something from others; it's wanting something for others. The fifth thing is our new life is excited about bringing unchurched friends. As you know, we're we're committed to creating environments that will help you connect and grow. You know, we're a family. You experiencing authentic community and growth is so very important. And at the same time, we're committed to making environments such that you feel like you can or are even excited to invite your unchurched friends to create a Sunday or other experiences where they may not necessarily agree with whatever the speaker says or what all the Christians around them may believe, but still, they feel apt, you feel absolutely comfortable inviting them to come and join you. And I know we can get better at this. So, If you have lost or you've begun to lose your excitement or your sense of comfort in inviting unchurched friends who don't believe what you believe, but they're open to spiritual conversation, we need to know that. You've got to help us monitor that, that each weekend I want you to see and listen to every service, not just for how it connects with you, but for you to see it through the eyes of and hear it through the ears of your unchurched friends to help us be aware of how we are engaging or how we are unnecessarily alienating. We need to know that. And we want to know that we're creating environments where you feel you can invite people. And not because I'm pestering about you about it, but because you're excited to invite them. And, and the sixth one is related. Do guests feel welcome? Ever experience a church where it's like the people, it, it, they were like people that invite someone into their home and then once they get there, they just ignore them. Like I've shared with Shauna about Shauna and I, when we were newlyweds, we moved from Southern California back to the Midwest, especially in the 80s, Southern California, we were very brightly dressed, I will just say that, and so we went to visit this church in our very comfortable Southern California style, and no one talked to us, but we liked the music, we liked the preacher, so we thought, and this is my personality, I thought, let's do an experiment, so the next Sunday we returned, I wore a tie, Shauna wore a nice dress, and The moment we walked in, we were mobbed by members. Like, oh, welcome. We've never seen you before. I was like, I was in Hawaiian shorts last week. You could not have missed me. But this, this is what happens when a church drifts. They get comfortable with the people they know, the people that look like them and talk like them. And they gather in their little groups where they know one another and they chat one another up. I mean, imagine what it would be like. For me to invite you to our home and you arrive, you knock on the door, somebody opens the door and then just turns and we go to our normal routine and just ignore you. When you have someone to your house, what do you do? You don't necessarily abandon your routine. You just adjust for the sake of the person who is there. So we're not talking about making huge, dramatic, completely different changes than what we normally do. We're just talking about creating an environment where we function as a family but we adjust some things because we have guests. We have people visiting our home, our community, our movement. Who are, and they're looking at our family and trying to size us up and decide, do I want to be a part of this? And then we want to make sure that we do all that we can to create a sense of belonging for them. Because the day that we get so inwardly focused that we just become comfortable with our routine that we're not investing in inviting and making people feel welcome. We will be off track. And when that happens, we are just on the verge of Jesus ripping that lampstand out because this isn't just about us. It's about a world in desperate need of Christ. Number seven, and here's an area where, again, I know we need some work. Are people, new people, easily assimilated into the life of our church? In other words, do we have connecting points? Where people can easily connect so that they can get plugged in and get involved. And it's an area that I and the leadership team right now we're working on and we're concerned about. And with your help, we'll get better at that. I've been very excited for the people of just organically, like, I want to start a small group. I want to start a small group. And people taking the initiative to do that. Number eight, kind of connected to that, is are people developing quality friendships inside our church? Are you connecting? One of the things, again, that I love hearing is all the friendships and connections that have formed, and just formed organically within this community. Uh, There's uh, after service, my wife and I have both loved the growing number of people, part of that because a lot of them are married and keep having babies, but just hang back after, long after everything is torn down and put away, and they just hang out and connect, and the kids play, and friendships, authentic community is being built. Authentic community is crucial to our mission. The ninth thing is, are we identifying and developing leadership? As a church, we're seeking to lead people somewhere. So that means we need to develop leaders. So we want to climb in our culture where men and women are, and young people who have the gift of leadership find a place to function with that gift. We don't want a church where there's just a few people doing everything. So if we have people like you or people in our community that are strong leaders, we want to be a church where you can find a spot as a Jesus follower to lead. Within our community so that we can be in keeping with our mission, and the last one, number 10 is this is just are we honestly reevaluating the effectiveness of our programs and how we do church in light of our mission statement? In other words, think of all that has changed just in the five and a half years since we launched. A lot has been ex- experienced in our country and our world. a lot has changed just in five and a half years. And what we're doing In 2022, we have to ask, is it effective? And the things that we might do in 2022 that might be cool and effective now, five, ten years from now, they're not going to be. And will we have the guts to take a ministry or a program or the way we do a specific way of doing church and bring it to a close and replace it long before it begins building momentum on the downward slope of the bell curve? See, one of the things that can literally kill churches, and I've seen this, is the unwillingness of leadership to acts, programs, and approaches, and strategies that haven't been effective for years. But because of fear or fear of ticking off long-term members or big donors, fear because it feels familiar, or because there's an emotional attachment to the glory days, they continue to embrace and financially support things that should have been concluded a long time ago because they're no longer effective, they're even counterproductive, because there has to be a willingness to celebrate the things that we do that honored God, that worked in the past, but reevaluate every year and ask, hey, do we do this again this year? Like it worked last year, it worked the year before, it moved us in the right direction, but is this still on target, helping us to get to be where we want to be as a church? I want to invite the band on up. Part of my sharing this with you today is I, I just, I think, especially for some of you, if, if I'm sitting in the seats that you're in, sometimes there's got to be the question, like, what, what drives this thing? What are some of the, like, how do we know? Like, we're doing well as a church, beyond just that there's people I know and I care about, relationships for me are being built. But these 10 things are, are front and center for me. And I'm going to make you a promise, we're going to mess up on all 10 of these from time to time. And we're going to miss the mark from time to time. And right now, even, just as a community, we've got a lot of work to do. And the leadership team, again, right now, we're, we're, we're leveraging a really awesome tool as we work through this to help us. And it will help us in all these areas. And we are in a season right now. We have this rich opportunity right now for innovative thought, for fresh involvement, and for some of you who have yet to plug in. But as we move forward, I just I want you to share. I want you to share the success stories of what God is doing in your life. I want you to share how God is showing up. Even if it's just the small wins, the small victories. Or feel free to rat out that person that you're married to or in a relationship with or you're related to, of how you're seeing God show up in their life. Because, honestly, they may not see it. But you see the changes in them. And I need you to share that with us so that we know what we're doing that's working. So we can do more of it. And I also want you to raise yellow flags and tell us, you know, there's this particular thing that suddenly I see or whatever. I'm seeing it through the eyes of my unchurched friend, and I just, I'm not comfortable anymore inviting them. Because we don't want to get to the point where God would seriously consider removing our lampstand from this city. In fact, I want it to shine brighter in this city, in our community. And I believe that God has already put all the pieces here. So I want to be, you to be a part of making this happen. Let's celebrate the wins. And I want to invite you to hold me accountable to these. And I'm going to hold you accountable. And let's anxiously anticipate what God is going to do as a result. I asked the band to lead us in this next song. Because again content of the songs and the words i just again i feel like it just it just reaffirms who we want to be as a community and who our god is and what he can do when we let him let's pray father i thank you for our community i thank you for the other churches in wichita that that get this and they too their teams their people they're passionate about making a difference in our city in our time but also making a difference for eternity in the lives of others and i pray god for all of us that you would just continue to to build that that you would show up in unmistakable ways father i i pray for the people that we interact with at at, at the gym at the store in our workplace at school in our classes god people that you have positioned for us to positively influence just by loving them and serving them even though we might never personally see the day where they take that step of faith but that you would use us in some way to reveal your love for them your passion for them and so father i I pray that you would just give us the intuition and and the courage to serve to love to invest in and father that you would give us the discernment of when the time is right to talk about our faith to invite them without your help we'll we'll mess it all up but god you promised to help us jesus said you'd send a helper through your spirit and so, Father, we pray for that and that we would see amazing things happen in our city, individuals in their singleness and in families. God, I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.